This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know planes that they're building? police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm a fucking Ghostbuster bitch. (laughs) Don't give away our secret yet, Josh. God damn it. So anyway, you know, it has been a bit, I will say, since we all been together. We actually got ahead of the game a little bit. So, you know, we took a little bit of a breather to kind of focus on our real jobs that pay us money. You know, and here we are. We actually only just took one week off. I know, but it sounds (laughs) like it seems like a month, dude. It's fucking insane. We skipped one recording session, but I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's 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 fine. It's been COVID lockdown, so we don't have anything better to do than just record and research. So, but Agreed. yeah, that week was kind of nice to nice reprieve, relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, real quick, I will talk about uh, some not some shouts, but comments. We've had some good comments on YouTube on what we have on there, and we had some good comments on the Thomas Winterden interview that was out. And, of course, uh, we have the Crystal Skulls out. You guys should listen to uh, Lynn McNeil as well, who's a folklorist. Um, you know, like I said, we're about a week ahead, two weeks ahead of what we're doing. But uh, so far, I don't know, boys. Had some good comments on our side, I see. And I don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but it's kind of cool. I, I, I haven't seen them, but I suck at looking at comments. <laughs> I, I think I'm just always afraid because people are just going to talk shit on me. So I just Piece of it. shit. Yeah, if they don't pop up on my email, then I don't fucking pay. I don't pay attention whatsoever, to be honest with you. Yeah. You guys are so dumb. Um, <laughs> when I'm putting shit up on YouTube, I look at it sometimes, but I'm not yeah. very good at understanding how to look at things besides videos on YouTube. So, so yeah. folks, what we're saying is we don't follow through on anything we do. And so there's that. And so yep, there's that. <laughs> anyway. But I mean, it's a good idea, at least, you know, it's that we try. We're halfway the there. Th- don't they say it's the thought that counts? They say that, but I don't think anybody believes that shit. But whatever. Yeah, no one believes it. But I mean, as long as you can say it, then whatever. Yeah. Um, I do want to tease a little bit. We've got some cool things in the works that we actually did follow through with mm. um, that we just didn't talk about. <laughs> um, Emily Whalen from the Singular 14 Society has cooked us up some brand new images, logo for us that we should be unveiling soon soonish kind of uh when season three ends we haven't so, decided that but we're gonna work on it yeah we'll, i think we'll, maybe we'll we'll, fi- we'll nudge that more towards the end of season three so we can yeah. wedge those in there i think is our mm-hmm. plan but we just got those today and they're super cool and i can't wait to show everybody what what she did for us um she rules so thank you emily if you're listening they are so awesome so yeah thank for you everyone to see yeah, that's that's beyond cool. I, I think cool. Uh, friends of the podcast, you know, and and I feel and it get Tobias as well. Um, you know, they advertise us and and help us out, and hopefully we advertise them as well. Um, they've got their heart in the right place, and they really they have a sincere 
love for this field. And, uh, you know, it's kind of neat to have that. So, yeah. So yeah, it was like Christmas, Christmas morning today when she sent me <laughs> those images, I was like, Oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> yes. so I'll look at them now. Should I wait? I'll look at them now. No, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, Anyway, well, hopefully you guys are uh, good. We do also have uh, some possible other interviews lined up. Um, we reach out as we, you know, what interests us and what, what kind of comes out. We do have stuff on Patreon again. So, you know, if you are not a Patreon member and you have a little, you know, spare scratch laying around, you can. We've got all kinds of neat stuff on there. We're adding things all the time. Um, but I don't know, guys. Do you, Josh, you have anything on your side? We kind of want to jump into this uh, this one. Uh, let's get going. All right. Let's get ready to rumble. (laughs) That's too much. I'll leave. This is something that, well, no, stay just for a little bit longer. Okay. Just for a second. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go for the smidge. Stick around for a minute. Yeah. Um, So this is something that I had a fascination on and then I threw it out to you guys and you're like, oh no, that kind of sounds cool because, you know, we are in the time frame. I mean, it's 2020. And we have all the, you know, when we talk about Fortean, we talk about uh, paranormal phenomena, high strangers, whatever definition you want to call it. Uh, obviously, you know, we're still, it, it almost seems like in the last hundred years, we really haven't been making as much ground as we really should because it's still a very unknown field for the most part. There's some great people that are involved. Researchers are involved. Um, the people that really are dedicated to it, they want to talk about ideas and subjects. Perfect. You know, we love that. And I decided to kind of look a little bit on some of the past and find some people that who were the originals? Who were the people that really kind of wanted to know about this? And that's kind of where we came up with this whole scenario. So, you know, it's always fascinated me about how people uh, that usually have no interest in the paranormal get hooked into it due to recent culture that plays out around them, just like I was talking about. You know, it's 2020. It's it's a different world. And then we talk about the TikTok UFO and everything else. You could have blown me over with a feather if you would have told me that five years ago. Yeah, because that wouldn't have been a thing. And I don't know about you guys, but it's just that whole thing's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, all the revelations that keep coming out with the Senate intelligence community verifying that they don't know when they're investigating. So it's definitely brought the UFO subject into a more legitimate light, which obviously I love. And I think it's important as well. But Yeah, and I think so, too. And I think with, uh, you know, not just UFOs, but everything in general, we're in a very weird time. And I don't know, call it a quinky dink that we're all locked down, but yet UFOs are taking a side seat to news especially when they come out and say, yeah, we have otherworldly objects that we found to me, that blows my mind, but yeah, well, there is some discrepancies with that. New York times came out a day later with, um, I don't know what they call it, but when a newspaper kind of is like, Oh, we kind of printed some stuff that wasn't actually Mm. exactly accurate. Um, Harry Reid came out the very next day and re rebuttaled and said, he didn't make those comments. Um, so Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane, um, I'm not sure, but they stick by their story, but I don't know if he's backtracking or he regrets saying that. Um, but he is kind of quoted as saying like, we don't know what these are. And I never said that it was otherworldly. Mm. Same with their Eric Davis, yeah. but yeah. Well, that, that's interesting because for those of you who may not know, Harry Reid, uh, the Senator for Nevada was the Senator for Nevada. He put a lot of money into uh Bigelow's thing, a lot of money. And so yeah. they were good partners. So that's just kind of funny. You know, nice little quinky dink, but you know, it is what it is, but it's still going around the, the airways for sure. 
So, you know, we talk about that. We talk about all the weirdness that media throws at us every five years or so, because I find it goes in a cycle a little bit. Um, where either, you know, theaters are packed with movies about stalkers or psycho killers, such as Scream, uh, trilogies represented, or the latest iteration of paranormal reality TV shows that seem to play back on networks like the Travel Channel, which, by the way, did any of you guys, have you checked out the Osbournes thing? Uh, no. I have not. I've, I haven't been watching too much TV because, you know. Life. I, <laughs> we, well, life and also I have to do this podcast, so there's no time. Um, I've just been watching unidentified pretty much. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, you know, you got listeners, you can listen you can watch it and see what you think. Um, you know, you throw a stick on travel channel and something's going to land on paranormal. I guarantee it. You know, so that's just, everybody caters to it nowadays to a certain point, but we here at strange jungles obviously have always stood steadfast and loving the strangeness wherever we can get it. You know, we know that. Um, but it's not the same for the general populace because not everybody, knows about this or everybody cares about this give it a few years there'll be a new fad that society will soon be spoon fed and the high strangers will fade out of our daily lives only be replayed a few years later which i you know it seems like it's always in a rotation because i was kind of oh sorry oh no you're fine i didn't mean to interrupt i was kind of wondering that i'm like when is this whole fad because i mean it seems like the paranormal ufos are just like blowing up right now right you know what's next super super popular I was just kind of wondering, I'm like, when is, when does this go back into the little, like, you know, kind of underground scene? Like when, what's, what's going to be the next, well, what's the next thing, well, you know? I, I think what'll happen is things will calm down in the world, maybe. And <laughs> as things calm Hopefully. down and get more ordered and, and more structured, uh, I think the, the paranormal, like the phenomenon in general is going to kind of recede back into the shadows a little bit because uh, it thrives in liminal states and in states of transition and change. And uh, and the last four years has just been one crazy fucking thing after another. So <laughs> yeah. um, I, I really think that if, if things stabilize, like, you know, economically, geopolitically, like all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden two things, I think the phenomenon will recede a little bit. And I think people will be less interested in it because they'll need less distractions from everyday life. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. I think that's there's a lot to that. You know, I mean, it's really weird where you look at the stigma of society and where we're at in a certain time frame and what that looks like to everybody. Um, yeah. That's, that's preaching the choir, man, for sure. But you know, it's one of those things that we talk about this and we talk about what's a new fad and we talk about whether this is going to go in the corner or the shadows and kind of disappear and come back out five years later. There, interestingly enough, have been societies in history for a while who have just always done that. They've always kept steadfast, no matter what the fad was, no matter whether it was, you know, slasher movies or, you know, travel channel has everything on it known to just weird stuff. They have continued to stay steady on what they researched they were one of the first ones to put everything together. And they really, these groups carried the torch for us that, that I, I'm sorry, we, I think we all, all three of us and all our friends and everybody else that we talk to, you know, in this whole high strangest realm, I think we really have a love for it and we really are dedicated to it because we just want to find the answer. My problem is if we find the answer, something happens, what happens then? Is that like the end? Like we found the end game. Is it going to be fun anymore if we find <laughs> the the, I, the cause of this you know what i mean yeah part of it is always the mystery and searching and you the unknown so that's what drives you is to find that 
Um, I've kind of grappled with that as well. Like, what if we do just find ex- out exactly what the Tic Tac is? Um, you know, like we've somehow pinpointed what a UFO is, where it's from. Uh, honestly, I think I'll still be fascinated by it because, but that's when the supernatural becomes science. Exactly. Well, and I think the nature of the phenomenon is to remain um, a mystery. And I don't think that we ever really will get to the bottom of it. Um, I think it'll change. You know what I mean? Like, I like how ufology went from uh, the nuts and bolts theory to, um, to like, oh, I don't know, maybe they're interdimensional, maybe they're just orbs of light, who the fuck knows, you know what I mean? Like, it, it'll show us another facet of itself, um, yeah. and it won't, it won't, we, we're not, I don't think we're ever going to know, is what I'm trying to say. And yeah. even if we did, like, finding out is the fun part. So even if you did, like, find fucking Hangar 8 at Area 51 or whatever, and went in and saw the UFOs and got the guided tour, I think you'd still want to like keep looking into it and say, well, all right, was this particular incident a real thing or was it, you know, this other thing that we still don't know what it is, plus like ghosts and shit. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. there's always going to be something like, I don't, even if we knew what the Tic Tac was or like pinpointed the origin of UFOs, we, there would still be weird shit. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. There's layers of the onion for sure, and and I don't think that I think that onion really is pretty fucking big, to be honest with you. And I think you're right. I, I think even if we you know we get past one layer and we kind of think we have the knowledge base for it, there's going to be a thousand other layers that we really don't understand or know. Um, yeah, true. I mean, hopefully this still you know keeps interesting. I think for the most part, but. Um, there's been groups out there that have done this and they've done this for a long time. This episode here, uh, we are because of that, because of their research and their love for it. There's one organization that we wanted to pay homage to. And they're one of the oldest societies that have kept the flame alive for over 100 years. We consider the group of gents, the original Ghostbusters of sorts, and their work and research is fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to give you the story of the Society of Psychical Research. Open the gates. Society for Psychical Research was founded in uh, the 1880s for the very purpose of trying to apply scientific methods as they existed. It is about Victorian ghost hunters, but in this sense um, that it's about the Society for Psychical Research um, established in the Victorian era. Because they had 701 cases of alleged spontaneous apparitional communications. All right, so I'm going to introduce these now before I forget about them. So, again, this is a group called the Society of Psychical Research. They're out of England, and I took the liberty of ordering the books, and I just want to show anybody who's watching the YouTube video, Volume 1, That's which hurts, hurts my wrist when I hold it up. And volume two is even worse. Volume two. Oh. <laughs> it's fucking insane. I have Such not started those. Boy. Oh, God. It makes me just want to oh, tear you up. But anyway, those are some of the first books written now. Um, we'll cover this a little bit in an episode, but there are 
hundreds of books that were written by not even the founders of the society, but uh, members, followers, uh, memorandums, research papers, like the list goes on. And they're still active nowadays, just to give you guys a little tidbit of what we're going to talk about. Um, they're still around. There is a North American equivalent, which we'll cover towards the end. But I wanted to pay homage to, we want to pay homage to these guys because they were really the first. So I think I want to start with a statement of purpose, and it comes from the Society of Psychical Research, and this pulls right off their website as of recent. Um, most people call them SPR for short, which is how we're going to refer them throughout this because I'm not going to say the entire Society for Psychical Research. You guys can if you want to, but I'm not to. I'm lazy, so I'm not going to do that. So when you hear SPR, that's what we're referring to. Um, and this is the purpose of what they have on their website. Yeah, so... The SPR was the first organization established to examine allegedly paranormal phenomena using scientific principles. Our aim is to learn more about events and abilities commonly described as psychic or quote-unquote paranormal by supporting research, sharing information, and encouraging debate. Our members come from all over the world and represent a variety of academic and professional interests. We welcome active researchers as well as people who simply want to know more about the subject. Absolutely. Thank you, John. And that actually is still, again, that's on the website and that's what it is. So we're going to set the stage for you guys a little bit. And we're going to tell how this kind of came into being way back when. So on an autumn day in 1881, there was a conversation being had by two English scholars. One of them was Edward Dawson Rogers, who was a fairly renowned journalist at the time uh, and became the first editor for a popular London paper called the Eastern Daily Press. However, that's not all Edward was known for. He was also interested in spiritualism and studied mesmeric healing, attended seances, and in 1873 helped to form the British National Association of Spiritualists. Even though this group was founded before SPR, it is still a very loosey-goosey team of spiritualists and never approached the paranormal with a scientific view such as SPR would. The other scholar involved in the conversation was a one William F. Barrett. He was an English physicist who concentrated on experimental physics, a member of other royal societies, and later in life was actually knighted, which that's my bucket list, guys. I want to be knighted one of these days. I don't know if it's possible, but it'd be really cool. I'll knight you, Shane. I don't think it's the same, but thanks. That's cool. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so, of course, he had, uh, he had to an interest in the paranormal, mainly due to an experience he had where he believed to witness an actual thought transference. Because of that encounter, he spent his spare time investigating poltergeists and even publishing his findings. As the conversation between these two men unfolded, it led to a conference on the 5th and 6th of January of 1882, at the headquarters of the British National Association of Spiritualists, again, which Edward was a member of, and the SPR came into being. Other original members would include William S. Moses, a cleric and spiritualist, Charles Massey, a lawyer and physical researcher, Edward Gurney, a, psycholo a psychologist and a parapsychologist, Hainsley Wedgwood, an entomologist and a philologist, which uh, that's a mouthful jesus what christ fuck is that right, so <laughs> philologist a study of plants. philologist study of plants is what it is evidently philologist philologist i've never heard that word in my entire life jesus christ oh yeah crazy um who by the way so this guy hensley uh he was a cousin of charles darwin which is kind of cool i guess never um, heard of him <laughs> Fair enough. These names are so tragically British. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, it gets worse. 
Frederick W.H. Myers, a poet and another philologist, philologist, Jesus philologist, philologist, yes, philologist. All right. Um, And last but not least, Henry Sedgwick, an ethical philosopher and economist who was also elected as SPR's first president. With the key players in place, SPR set their intent. To approach these varied problems without (laughs) prejudice or preposition of any kind, and in the same spirit of exact, unimpassioned inquiry, which has enabled science to solve so many problems, once not less obscure, nor less hotly debated. I feel like I stepped into Hocus Pocus real quick. I wasn't too sure I was out there. I feel like I just time traveled. You did. (laughs) I I think I did. (laughs) Too funny. So other members joined, and soon this new society grew, and SPR even helped found the International Congresses of Physiological Experimental Psychology, which sounds like a big scary title, but really boils everything down to just organizing and collecting from around the world other researchers that connected uh, physiological research with metaphysical research. With tons of paranormal subject matter to focus on, SPR agreed initially on these areas. Hypnotism, disassociation, thought transference, mediumship, and the Reichenbach phenomena, apparitions in haunted houses, and physical phenomena associated with seances. So, number one, you're a group in 1882, and this is what you decided to come together to do. Just, okay, what do you guys think we should do? I mean, I just, I figured it seems like a Scooby-Doo mystery to me at first, but maybe not. Maybe it was more thought out than that. I don't know. It sounds fun. I want. I want to be. I want to be in that group. I like how they laid everything out. That's awesome. The one thing that stood out to me was the Reichenbach phenomena, um, yeah. which I I never heard when I did this research. But I think you guys looked it up on your side a little bit. Yeah. So it, the Reichenbach phenomena is just it's an energy field allegedly emanating from crystals, magnets, and living things, both plants and animals. Adherents claim that it can be made visible by Curlian. Curlian photography, but is otherwise discernible only by certain sensitive individuals, quote unquote. Hmm. Um, so the ph- phenomenon was first described by the Austrian chemist and metallurgist Baron Karl von Reichenbach. Uh, he lived from 1788 to 1869. <laughs> oh boy. <And>, uh, <laughs> nice. Who held it to be a manifestation of an all pervading physical force that he named odd or odile after the norse god odin and he uh, reichenbach considered this force to be distinct from electricity and magnetism but similar to the animal magnetism of franz anton mesmer and these ideas later influenced austrian psychoanalyst william reich and his theory of organ energy and um the reichenbach phenomena is now mainly cited by advocates of crystal healing. So oh. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people out there just immediately switched off. They're like, <laughs> Get they right crystal healing and- I don't know. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we did have an episode with, you know, crystal skull. So there is that. Yeah, that's interesting. Now he called, I think too, I stumble on, it was called the, uh, again, after Odin, the Odin force or something yeah. to that, which to me, I mean, it just sounds like an aura. To me, is that just simplifying it, or you think there's more to it? I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, ahead. scientifically, there might actually be more to it. Um, like there have been studies shown 
where uh, like your body generates an electric field, right? We all know mm-hmm. that. We're all batteries, right? right. We've all seen right. the Matrix. <laughs> but um, they did some experiments in the lab, I want to say in like the 20s, um, where they would like cut the arm off of a frog or something and then they would use, they would, they had a way to take pictures of the field, which I think might have been that Kirillic photography. And, yeah, it's a Kirillian photography. Yeah, I, I think that might have been what they were using. Um, but they would still see the electric field where the arm used to be. Really? Um, I got to yeah. pick up a camera that can see that. Yeah. Oh, so, so there's, um, oh, good. There's Sorry. like actual science behind some of this. Just saying. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the Curlian photography. It's that is. It's a technique that records on photographic film a corona discharge, sometimes characterized as the aura or life force emanating from a person, animal, plant, or object. So is that the same as red eyes curly. on a camera? I'm sure it's not, but. Because I can never take a picture without somebody having red eyes. Freaks me out. I mean, is that even a thing anymore? Are you I'm using t- a modern camera? <laughs> I am not. Mine <laughs> winds like, up. I, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't seen red eyes on a on a picture in like Jesus twenty years. Christ! My mom had a camera that you remember the flash. It used to plug <laughs> into the top of the camera, and it would. And then you had to take it off and flip it around and plug it back in, so it would burn up the other flash. That's yeah. That was the family camera when I grew up. So you know, there. I, I during, literally have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I during feel so this bad right upcoming <laughs> commercial break, we're gonna yes, exactly. explain modern photography and red eye removal to show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is as good a time as any to take a little yeah, break. Absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> stand by, everybody. Watch for the flash. What up? Aries, stop insulting people. These are potential listeners. Yeah, I'm so sure. Happy horror coffee break, old time horror radio show. We take the best and worst <laughs> creepy pasta stories online, and our finest of quality reenactors perform them for you in the style of old timey horror radio drama. Everyone knows it's just you disguising your voice poorly. No, it's not. Besides, we have an abundance of great guests. There's music and t-shirts. And a bunch of dick and fart jokes. You're not wrong. (laughs) Catch us on all the major podcasts, thingamawoppers. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Schlapstick, Hard Knockers, and the rest. Idiot. Tune in every other Friday. There's a new episode. Or just stick your head in an oven. Same difference. Aries. <laughs> we need to have a little chat. <laughs> Toodles. The fourth hand joint. And so we're back, everybody. So we were talking about the Reichenbach phenomena, um, cameras that nobody understands, evidently, uh, or nobody's seen. John, <laughs> we can go from there. But apparently, the, Shane's still dealing with the red eye phenomena. Yeah, yeah. Well, every old picture I have from like high school, everybody has red eyes, and I, I don't know. It are those in color? They are in color, smartass. Nice. That's yeah. <laughs> thanks. I'm not. Did that you old. have to get? Did you have to get one of those photographers that got under the blanket? And like, <laughs> like with up, the shroud like, held up like the broom looking thing yeah. and like the giant don't smile just like that just like exploded for some reason if you smile in this picture yeah. your soul will <laughs> so be will disappear 
Yeah, yeah, and it smells like everybody dies from the chemicals like a weeks later, and nobody knows why. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to go back into the group. Uh, their work was amazing. Uh, they existed for 138 years. They still exist, which is crazy. Uh, so we can't really possibly go through all the cases, influences, and the research that SPR has under its belt because it is just mind-blowing. Uh, cool tidbits thought aside from what they researched is what they have added to our present vernacular. And this is what's neat because we talk about the words that we use nowadays, you know, and there's everything from, you know, where did poltergeist come from? Where did Fortean come from? Which we know Charles Fort. There's all these words that are out there that are part of our group. Um, these guys, these guys were the godfathers of some of those words with members like Wedgwood who studied the nature of languages. Terms were founded by SPR to try and define certain phenomena, such as the term telepathy. So they've come up with these words. There was many more too that they actually did. Um, but let's dive into some of the more exciting research that they did. Um, some, there's cases and investigated and they started with some really famous ones for the most part at the time. I don't think they were as famous, but after time, of course, we look at this, we look at the stories that we have now to us, they're famous, but back when it never really was a thing because nobody thought this was a thing. This was the first group that kind of made this an issue and made this uh, phenomena kind of happen. So it's really kind of cool. So have you guys heard of the Borley Rectory? I have negative. No. Really? Neither one of you? Okay. So this is kind of a famous, I guess, ghost story of sorts. Um, and this is, again, condensed. There's so much stuff that we can go on through here. What we did was kind of pick the highlights of some of these things that they not only they researched, but they did books on or they did research papers on and kind of came up with their own conclusion. And it's funny because the Borley Rectory is still being studied today, which is kind of amazing because some people yeah. – just won't, um, you know, face the facts on the whole thing. So built in 1862, it is well known to be the most haunted house in England's history. It sat next to a church that was reported to be built in the 12th century. The Borley Rectory was known to be haunted from day one. Built on an existing spot where it's believed a previous rectory was built but burned down in 1841. This is ironic because the Borley Rectory would also be almost destroyed by fire in 1939 and then torn down in 1944. It was built, the original one, uh, by Reverend Henry Dawson Bull, whose family lived in the area for over 300 years, and he was, at the time, the Borley Rector. So, I don't know if that terminology rings a bell. Evidently, in England, it basically means a priest, pretty much. Uh, or a rector. father. Rector. Rector. Damn near killed him. killed her. <laughs> e rector. Exactly. Um, it originally had 18 rooms and no electricity. But due to the good old Rev evidently loving sex, he had 14 children throughout the years, which meant he had to add on to the rectory, which is funny you said rectum, to bring it to 23 rooms in total. So it was, uh, it wasn't a little quite, hobble. It was pretty big. Yeah, it's quite the rectory. I would say so. If you talk about rectories, well, the rectory is pretty good. Pretty big. That's, that's probably one of the finest rectories in all the land. Very large rectory. So, yeah. Most for certain. So he died in the rectory in the blue. You know, when I wrote this, I realized that, that I didn't realize how fun that word was, really. But here we are. It's, it's, a, it's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> so he died in the rectory in the blue room 30 years later, as well as his wife passing in the same room some years later after that. Other family members were invited to stay there, and many of them either downright refused because of its reputation or only spent a short time living in the rectory until their mental and physical well-being broke down and either they passed on or moved out only to die sooner than later, which a lot of his family lineage, just weird, mysteriously, they died very early. 
which is, mm. you know, one of those things. So it's kind of, yeah, it is what yeah. it is. Uh, bad genes. Uh, bad genes or bad ghosts, one of the two. So there is a legend attached to the rectory uh, where it said a priest was dating a nun on the side, which, as one does... Naughty, naughty, naughty. Right? Even priests are supposed to be the best. Of course, they got caught, and the story goes a nun was walled up alive in one of the rooms. This has never been proven, but it's ironic that the garden outside the rectory was named the Nun's Walk. And there is a reason for this. Cases of screams, poltergeists, shadows, a ghost of a nun seen walking through the garden and through the brick wall. Um, You name it, this house really evidently has had everything in it rectory <laughs> so the spr stepped in to study the rectory in 1948 after it was damaged by fire but not completely bulldozed as of yet we should take the time right here to mention another character that was adamant that the rectory was haunted and that was a man by the name of harry price mr price was a renowned psychic researcher and author and spent more time studying the borley rectory than any other of his cases in his career and here's a little fun fact for you uh, there's a fun story directly from Price's accounts on the rectory. Price recruited a corps of 48 quote unquote official observers, mostly <laughs> students who spent weekends at the rectory with instructions to report any phenomena that occurred. And in March, 1938, a one Helen Glanville, one of Price's helpers conducted a seance in South London. Price reported that she made contact with two spirits, the first of which was that of a young nun who identified herself as Marie Lair. According to the story, Marie was a French nun who let her religious order and or left her religious order and traveled to England to marry a member of the Waldegrave family, the owners of Borley's 17th century manor house, Borley Hall. She was said to have been murdered in an older building on the site of the rectory and her body either buried in the cellar or thrown into a disused well. There were writings that would appear on the walls of the rectory that were alleged to be her act, uh, pleas for help. One read, Marianne, please help me get out. Other people say that Price actually was the one that debunked this, saying he exposed the supposed automatic writing in the Borley Rectory as the wall scrawling of a housewife attempting to hide an extramarital affair. So I got a question. Have you guys ever actually heard the name Harry Price? Uh, No. So he is a very interesting character. So he was around in the early part of the century, and, you know, he had all these – he's got these books. He kind of debunked this, debunked this. Um Everything that he was involved in is just very interesting. And I guess him and SPR went head-to-head all the time. Like, they butted heads constantly. They would say one thing. He would say something different. Um, but he was really famous for a long time. Uh, and I don't I don't think he's alive. I think he died in the 80s, I believe. But uh, he's attached to all kinds of English haunts, I guess, you know, that he went through and did, you know, which I find kind of interesting. He's kind of a crazy character in its own right, for sure. But uh, so three members of the SPR, Eric Dingwall, (laughs) K.M. Goldney and Trevor H. Hall, which two of them had been Price's most loyal associates, investigated his claims about Borley. Their findings were published in the 1956 book, The Haunting of Borley Rectory, which concluded that Price had fraudulently produced some of the phenomena. The Borley report, as the SPR study has become known, stated that many of the phenomena were either faked or due to natural causes such as rats and the strange acoustics attributed to the odd shape of the house. In their conclusion, Dingwall, Golian, Hall wrote, when analyzed, the evidence for haunting and poltergeist activity for each and every period appears to diminish in force and finally to vanish away. 
Terrence Hines wrote that Mrs. Marion Foister, wife of Reverend Loiner Foister, who lived at the rectory from 1930 to 1935, was actively engaged in fraudulently creating the haunted phenomena. It was said Price himself salted the mine. I've never heard that term, but it's ah, interesting. Ah, that's a treasure hunting term. Is that a treasure hunting term? Oh, yeah. There you go. What does yeah, it mean? Yeah, it's when just putting fake stuff in to uh, throw people off the scent or to attract more notoriety than there should actually be because you didn't really find anything. Yeah, yeah. like you just put gold you just put gold in there and pretend like you found it there or something. Yeah, or like Interesting. fake evidence, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I can see a lot of that probably happening during the gold rush days. That's more likely where it came from. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Well, that son of a bitch, you know, that son of a bitch. He was salting a mine. I can't believe him. Well, and on top of that, he faked several phenomena while he was at the rectory. Marion Foister, later on in her life, admitted she had seen no apparitions and that the alleged ghostly noises were caused by the wind. Friends she invited to the house and in other cases by herself playing practical jokes on her husband. So many of the legends about the rectory had been invented. The children of the Reverend Harry Bull, who lived in the house before Lionel Foister, claimed to have seen nothing and were surprised that they had been living in what was described as England's most haunted house. And again, that's funny because people still research it. People still investigate it. You see it on Travel Channel all the time. Like, it's a thing. So um, I have a question. How do they investigate it if it was torn down in... The area, um, the area where, it, because they just investigate the area. I mean, I guess once something's torn down, doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily have to be. That's that's their theory. You know, it still has energy there, and being that you know that wasn't the first one. There's something built there before, you know. And again, it was built in the 12th century. So the there's a haunted mate. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. Well, evidently, when I was researching this, I guess Scotland is one of the most haunted countries in the world, not England. Which, whatever. I, I guess that's a, a blue ribbon. You know? I mean, lots of gnarly stuff happened on that land, so it kind of sure. makes sense. Sure. Kind of goes back to uh, John Tenney's uh, notion that just everywhere is haunted. I know. That's, yeah, for those of you who may not be a Patreon listener, we did a bonus episode on his book, uh, Theoretical Weirdo, and he talks about that, like per square mile and per square foot, how much is on. It's just an interesting theory. And so this is another thing with the rectory is, you know, there's something there prior. There, I'm sure there was something there before that that we just don't have a history of. And that's what a lot of the paranormal psychologists are looking for is just energy in that realm, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I got a fun fact for you, you dinguses, you dingwalls. <laughs> Some the skeptical- dingwall of the rectory. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the perfect title. <laughs> it is I, Eric, dingwall of the rectory. I hope um, he haunts me just for his name. I come to collect your taxes <laughs> and your ghosts and your erections. Wait, what? The, the erection collector? Yeah, the erectory. Rectory rectum. Director rectory. I don't know. Anyway, some skeptical skeptical members have resigned uh, from the SPR. Eric Dingwall. <laughs> As we discussed above, resigned from SPR and wrote, after 60 years experience and personal acquaintance with most of the leading parapsychologists of that period, I do not think I could name half a dozen whom I could call objective students who honestly wish to discover the truth. The great majority wanted to prove something or other. They wanted the phenomena 
uh, sorry, they wanted the phenomena into which they were inquiring to serve some purpose in supporting preconceived theories of publications. Uh, this other side of the criticism of SBR will be covered shortly. That's unfortunate, too. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like you need to go where the evidence takes you. You can't you can't create a hypothesis and then mess with the f- evidence to try and fit in that mold. Right. Yeah, especially Absolutely. in a field where like there is little to no real evidence. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it goes directly against what their mission statement said. You know what I mean? To like mm-hmm. yeah, follow it wherever it takes us without any preconceived notions kind of thing. Well, yeah. on top of that, you look at 60 years. So he spent 60 years... I mean, God damn, if I was with a group for 60, it's like, say you were with MUFON for 40 years and then all of a sudden, well, no, MUFON's a bad example. <laughs> Rewind. It just, I don't know. It just would amaze me. I mean, what do you do with your belief system at that point? You know, you're involved in this thing. This is what you've donated some of your time, if not half your time for. And then, hey, look, I realize this isn't working. You guys aren't, this is not what I was looking for. I mean, but chunk 60 years, chunk. it took you 60 years to figure that out. You I, couldn't have figured that out in like 10, five, five. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. A couple years. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe it like deteriorated over time or maybe he was like blind to it at first or maybe he was just like, uh, like ignored it for a long time. I don't know. I could yeah. see. I could see with new people coming into the organization, if he was part of it for that long, the culture of it kind of changing, you know what I mean? Right, right. I see that, like, you know, breathe a new life into what's going on. And he did write a few books. It wasn't just that one. He wrote some other ones, too. And he, I stumbled on a bunch of research papers, too, he had. So he, he was a pretty big contributor to just, in general, the SPR, you know, with his thoughts and what he had down on paper. I, you know, I, I mean, mean I would imagine he'd have to be if he was – in the organization for that long. I mean, that's, that's a whole lifetime right there. Yeah, exactly. 60 years. And Hey, uh, Dingwall, uh, you haven't written a paper in like 58 years. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I better, I better get on that. Like, Why are you even in this group, man? Yeah. You have no pants on either. There, there's a problem there, Dingwall. So anyway, we're going to take a break real quick. Um, we will come back and continue with another case and more of the SPR stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we're back. So um, we talked about, well, we were making fun of people too at the same time, which, you know, we find funny. But we were talking about haunted houses in general. So other haunted houses uh, were investigated. And one, which is going to ring a bell for you guys, I'm sure, because, again, nowadays, media, everything else. uh, It was called the Enfield Portergeist. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Surely it do. Sure I have heard do. of this. I'm sure most people should have because I, I would think so. Conjuring two really is what this is loosely based off of. Yeah. So anyway, but it's interesting on their take again, you know, this is a, a way, way before Hollywood sensationalism. So, you know, we're going to cover it here a little bit. 
So an SPR member by the name of Anita Gregory stated, the infield case has been overrated, characterizing several episodes of the girl's behavior as suspicious. Uh, John Biloff, a former president of the SBR, investigated and suggested Janet was practicing ventriloquism. I probably put one more cue in there that I should have. Both Beloff and Gregory came to the conclusion that Janet and Margaret were playing tricks on the investigators. Despite what Ed and Lorraine stated uh, during their supposed investigation of the house or how the case has recently been sensationalized in the movie Conjuring 2, like we discussed, which I find that funny because I stumble on another story that was written, actually a couple of them, that uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren literally tried to bulldoze their way into that case. Like, originally, the mom didn't want him anywhere near it, and they flew all the way to London. She wouldn't let him in the house. We covered the the Warrens, and that was one of the cases that we covered in there, that they they really didn't have as much of an, as involvement as they said they did. Yeah. So, you know. The more the more I learn and hear about Ed and Lorraine Warren, the, the more I just dislike them and just it's and, and now and, which is unfortunate because even if they might have done like a couple good cases or a good work on this part like anytime i mm-hmm. hear their name attached to anything i'm like yep nope like yeah you know and that's what ruins it for I'm not even i'm not even going to pay attention to anything if if ed and lorraine warren had anything to do with it like i yeah they are the people that are trying to push they have this end goal and they're going to try and make whatever happens in the middle fit into that end goal. Right. It, it does not- seem like that after we did the episode and we did the research, it, it absolutely does seem like that for the most part. And again, like you said, there might've been one or two offs or three offs, but I think as they started to get media behind them, that's when they started to get, you know, they were the first showmanship, I guess, behind media. I, I don't know. It really puts a bitter taste in my mouth. And it's funny because now you see these movies are out with them. Um, and there's yeah. another one coming out. I, I don't know. You know, you got listeners, you be the judge on them. I the, mean, I, li- I like the movies. Conjuring's a f- there. It's a fun franchise for sure. But, oh, sure. Sure. I mean, but I just take that as entertainment. I don't take that with any bit of reality. The, the stories are good. They're fun stories in their entertainment. Yeah. Like you were just saying, but like, you just got to take kind of everything with a grain of salt because I mean, one of the more dangerous things is someone who's like believes what they're doing so much that they fake it. If it's not there. Right. You know what I mean? So, which is a lot, I think a lot of groups nowadays that do that because it it's again, it's all sensationalized, you know? Yeah. They can't come up empty handed or else travel channel will quit paying them to make their dumb TV show. Right. Yep. And you know what's crazy is like the world is full of supernatural craziness. Oh yeah. Like you don't need to fake this stuff. I I mean if you do have a TV show and you need to put out content every week, yeah, like I I get why, you know, you definitely probably have to fake something or you know, cuz it's like, well, it's not happening right now, but like yeah, to be just to be a legitimate investigator, to be faking things just to get some hype, um, it's just stupid. It, it's absolutely, and you know what? Being part of Ochre Paranormal Investigators you know, here in Salt Lake, Mike Purdue, lead investigator, we've had him on the show. Um, the first thing he'll say is, he says, "You know what? Being a, an investigator of the paranormal is the most boring fucking thing you could ever do because it is hours <laughs> of just nothing." 
You yeah. look, you listen, you EVPs. Maybe you see some. Did something move? No, it didn't move. The wind blew that. Oh, no, it's a cat. Yeah, I mean, he says it's the most boring thing in the world. So you see all these shows where it's like, shh, did you hear that? It's just, come on, you know, insane. Yeah, like one thing that I liked about the original, like, Ghost Hunters show, I think it was called Ghost Hunters, but the one with taps, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, like when it, when it first started airing and they were still like plumbers who did that shit in their, in their spare time. Um, like they made a point of making sure that they showed when they didn't get anything. They made a point of trying to, uh, replicate whatever they thought might've just happened. That was paranormal. Like, Oh, is there a window open? Maybe it was the wind, you know? And then they also made a point of showing how long they spent sifting through hours and hours and hours of recordings to come up with maybe one half a second EVP. Yeah. And I really appreciated that back in the early days of that show. I think they kind of, I don't know. I didn't watch it for a long time and I came back and watched it and they were definitely like shit was getting faked or reenacted, you know, because they had to keep up with everything. They did bring that show back, but yeah, on your defense, exactly. They had to come back. They, now you got to compete with all these other assholes out there that are trying to make something out of nothing. You know, well, sometimes sometimes reality just isn't as sexy, and people just want to hear, right? A, you know, a bump. Oh, what was that? What was that? Like the general public just wants to like be, you know, freaked out for a second. You know, and and I with, will say no legitimacy behind it. Yeah, and I will say I felt that with that on a couple of investigations with OMPI on you know you think you're seeing something but it's, there's really nothing there. Yeah, I can understand on the devil's advocate side of it if you get caught up in a moment that's what you're out there to do you see something automatically your fear instinct kicks in i mean i get that oh yeah but, for sure you know i mean there's a fine line here and you go back and you look at the production value of it it's just you know anyway also, and ed and lorraine yeah i also evps i have i have a problem with evps because they're so subjective you can be like oh it's saying this and then once right. you put the once you put the words at the bottom of the screen and you fit those words into that, it's like, Oh yeah, I totally hear. Please help me. Or yeah, but, but take that away but, and then see what you take, hear. But take that away. And then you say, Oh, it's saying, Ed, I want a peanut butter and jelly or something. I don't, I mean, it's no, I, I'm with example, you, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I really hear Ed. I have a peanut butter and jelly. Like, well, it's I, I, like, I, I just don't, I just don't trust EVPs. Cause it's like, the ones I've heard, it's like, yeah, I, I hear that, but am I hearing that because you told me that's what you're right, hearing? Right. Yeah. I mean, we're getting down kind of a side path, but I'll, yeah. the same thing I'll understand is to like mediums too. They use pinpoint messages, they use wording. Yeah. Like they bait you when you talk to them. Oh, you had a, you know, do you have an aunt in your family that, yeah, well, fuck, who doesn't? I mean, there's ways that they found out how to make that work and that. And it's, it's called the same cold thing. reading, and it's what fucking grifters do. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's funny, Harry Houdini absolutely hated that shit. He tried to disprove him right and left. It was hilarious, you know. But, but you know, there's that out there, and it really diminishes from the other stuff. But again, you know, with these guys, I, 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 I feel they did a good, you know, just with the stories we read, the Borley Rectory and these other ones. Look, you know, no, she's doing this. No, she's tapping her foot, and this is, you know, and they spent their lifetime investigating it so you know maybe a little bit more bonafide than other ones nowadays i think yeah. we have to compare for sure but mm-hmm. um 
You know, but they didn't stop there. There's other things that they actually focused on. Um, they focused on debunking so-called mediums, which is funny that I brought that up of the day. Uh, some of the more famous ones being Eva Carrera and Eusapia uh, Palladino, who are both turn-of-the-century supposed mediums. They're proven by not only SBR to be frauds, but the famous magician Harry Houdini as well who made it his life's work to debunk mediums and spiritualists like we were talking about. Um, yeah, he was a, a famous uh, contortionist escapist, but uh, because of his mother's death, he really focused on the charlatans out there that were faking for other people to try to get their grief. And and he was just tired. He was done with it. He didn't want to... You know, he didn't want that shit to go on at all anymore, which, you know, it's kind of a cool. So, mm -hmm. in fact, in 1886 and 1887, a series of publications by S.J. Davey, Hodgen, and Sedgwick and the SPR Journal exposed the slate writing tricks of the medium William Englinton. Hodgen, with his friend S.J. Davey, has staged fake seances, uh, seances for educating the public, which included SPR members. Davey gave sittings under an assumed name duplicating the phenomena produced by Englinton, and then proceeded to point out to their sitters the manner in which they had been deceived. So not only did they debunk it, but they then went back and said, this is, how, this is what they're doing. Watch for it. Mm -hmm. Which I think is kind of noble in its own right. You know? So the funny thing on some of these studies, however, just to play devil's advocate, is the accusations directed towards the SPR. On one hand, skeptics were accusing them of being too skeptical, and closing the doors on any idea of viewing things through a spiritualist eyes or through supernatural eyes. This is ironic being that many of the original members and many members after, which we discuss a little bit, uh, had a firm foothold in spiritualism. Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, which hopefully that rings a bell to somebody, uh, famous for his books about infamous character Sherlock Holmes, resigned from SPR in 1930 and took 84 SPR members with him due to this very reason. However, on the other side of the coin, they were deep into the studies of automatic writing, hypnotism, thought transference, which they wrote many a research paper and books on how plausible all of these subjects were. The theory of spirits being all around us and poltergeist being an absolute thing was well into their wheelhouse. The SPR even has taken time to look back into old cases and research and reevaluated their research and findings to see if they are still plausible. A good example was when SPR member by the name of Richard Hodgen was sent to India in 1884 to investigate Helena Blavetsky and concluded that her claims of psychic power were complete bullshit. But in 1986, this case was re-examined and retracted by SPR with all the critics from each side. I guess it's like anything else, you know, there's always a naysayer no matter what you do. But having them look at cases, have a theory about that, have resolve for that, and then look back and go, man, is that really what, you're lo what we're looking at? I don't know. I, I find that that adds some um, some credibility to them a bit, in my eyes. I don't know. I'd like to know what 102 years later made them change their mind because it's not like they could talk to the actual people or, you know, eh, good point. there's new evidence or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would think they would keep pretty accurate. Well, okay, I'm assuming, my assumption. They kept pretty accurate records and notes when they did these initially, 100-something-odd years later. Um, granted that's all you have to go on, but maybe you look back in those notes and situations and then you, you case that with some of the newer findings. I, I would assume that's how, maybe how you go about that. I, I don't know. That's a good point. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point for sure. Um, but we have another fun fact for you. Um, Edmund Gurney died in 1888 and Henry Sidgwick 
in 1900, shortly after the death of Sidgwick the following year, SPR began a series of automatic writings produced independently by mediums not in communication with each other, which contained apparently random and meaningless classical illusions. The references meant nothing to the mediums, but would have been extremely familiar to the researchers who were well-versed in classical Greek and Latin literature. Apparently random and meaningless in isolation, the fragments were discovered to interlock meaningfully when the different scripts were collected and compared. The impression was of an intelligence, one that could not easily be attributed to the mediums themselves, and which the SBR researchers came to believe was of their deceased colleagues attempting to provide robust proof of their survival. The phenomenon is known as cross-correspondences, and the significance of the writings, which continued over a period of some 30 years, is still being debated. What's your thoughts on that? Um, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just, always, spot, I just but... always have a problem with automatic writing in general. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's funny. I'm just, I feel like I'm just so skeptical, but also just a firm believer as well. And I like have just a, a balancing act with that. Um, and I, th- I don't know. I think it's easy to. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I think it's easy to like mold things in, like how we're saying you mold something in to get to this end point. Like, I think it's right. easy to be like, well, this is what that means. It's right. Like, but, Agreed. But does it? I, I can see it? that. Like they find that um, attachment, you know, and they mm-hmm. make that work for themselves possibly. You yeah. know, but at the same time, they're doing an experiment which is very compartmentalized, and that and there was a result that was this at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of an interesting side of it, I, I think. But you know, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting for sure. Um, and I've never really heard of that. So, uh, I mean, if that is the case, that's that's wild. I mean, I don't know. What do you what do you think, Josh? Yeah, uh, I think it's like. Um, what Genesis P origin, his wife, like kind of did like how they had tried to say that they would find a way to let the other person know if there was something on the other side, once they dropped the body. Um, Uh I also think that, uh, having an arrangement like that, where someone knows you're going to try and contact them from beyond, should you die? Uh, sets them up to be looking for those signs, whether they're real and legitimate or not. True. Um, So it's tough, you know? Yeah, but you know what? I've had a lot of people that, uh, my mom was one who, you know, she, on her grandpa's deathbed, she asked him, tell me if there's another side, tell me it's okay, tell me you're okay when you, you know, you pass on. And she claims she had a dream and he's being carried into the church, which he never went to. And people were clapping and yeah, da, da, da. she had this whole thing going on. And to her, it was proof that, you know, he was okay. So there's a lot of personal stuff, uh, stories about that. And that's why I ask, I guess, because, you know, you can look at both sides. But I've heard a lot of people being very, very personal with this and that they did have something. But again, who's to say, like you said, Josh, and, you know, it's not subconscious to a point and that's already planted. I mean, that, you know, not sounds skeptical, but it's a thing. Well, I mean, you're going to find what you're looking for if you look hard enough, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, And that doesn't mean that it's not real, but it also doesn't mean that it is real. 
that's kind of what I was trying to say just a lot, a lot more poorly. (laughs) (laughs) I gave your statement alone. It's due fully repaid with interest at the end of the month. Damn it. Thank you. Dingwall. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anyway, with that being said, it's just an interesting topic. I think it's funny. Um, We covered this in the beginning, but we'll say it again too. If you guys want to do some light reading, this is phantasms living one. And then living two, two is thicker than one. And I think just to let me see, we are on, there is roughly 740 pages in two. So John, I know you like big books. Maybe you want to pick this one up. I don't know. Well, I Crazy. like big books and I cannot lie. Yeah. Damn it. I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I baited you I both. Like That's awesome. I like big books and I cannot yeah. lie. So um, what we're going to do, so those are the things, and, and there's actually, it's interesting because those two that I showed you, uh, Volume 1 and 2, they were both written in 1886, uh, again, by different authors of SPR, uh, or more recent book, if you guys are interested, Debating Psychic Experience, written in 2010, and that is just two books that we showed you along with 40 other research papers they have, members of SPR, articles, contributions, courses, I mean, it, it's just... Their archives are amazing. I actually got online. I stumbled on them, and you can pull a lot of them out. Um, it's really, it's really crazy. And they have a journal of the Society for Psychical Research that has been published published quarterly since 1884, and it's still something you can find online. So it's still continuing, which is that's impressive. Yeah, that is, I, yeah, that is really impressive. How do you keep, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, paranormal research group going? since what is that the 19th century yeah oh i know it's insane i mean you know and again there's new members there's still so i well i'll cover it i looked into we got some you know if you guys are interested in it but i i think josh has something on his side real quick yeah uh fun fact phantasms of the living was followed by another landmark project the census of hallucinations which sounds like a fucking hp lovecraft novel <laughs> for sure that's absolutely um, Sounds badass, dude. Yeah, for, I would name a record that. If I uh, the next record I make is going to be called the Senses of. Okay, but it's got to be fantasy metal. Of course. <laughs> the Senses of Hallucination. Not prog rock. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, you could go with Dream Theater. I guess I don't know. Um, anyway, still the largest survey of its kind ever to have been attempted. The Census of Hallucinations. That is. The census aimed <laughs> to investigate the probability of crisis apparitions being a matter of chance, coincidence, um, a likelihood that is rigorously calculated statistical findings effectively ruled out. So this basically saying that crisis apparitions are real and uh, happen to a lot of people, basically not a matter of just chance and random. Right. Right, right, yeah, yeah, random off and on type thing, yeah, um, which is, which is crazy that they have these things. I mean, it's just like I said that the the information that members have put down on paper alone is just fucking staggering. Um, we're wrapping up a little bit, but we want so for the most part, that is the group. Those are some cases that they did. They're easy to find out there. Um, if you want to become a member, you can for just seventy five American dollars annually. Uh, their website is www.spr.ac.uk, and honestly, just combing through their website again, like I said, it's just absolutely amazing what's out there for their references. It's it's from eighteen eighty two, nonetheless. 
Uh, visitors can get an idea of what the society has accomplished by skimming through the past research catalog, which contains brief summaries of almost every item published in the journals and proceedings up to the year 2011. We also recommend to look at the new online Sci-Enclopedia, which when I say that, it is a PSI encyclopedia, which offers descriptive articles on a variety of topics. And I, I personally spent some hours kind of going down this rabbit hole and seeing what, like what was out there and opening articles and reading them. And it's just really kind of crazy. Um, we will be missed if we don't mention a quick note too. So there's also an American society for psychical research that was founded in 1885 and it's a pretty cool history of their own. Um, but I find SPR kind of beats them a little bit to the punch, uh, but they're kind of shared. Some of the founders that, Meant they actually went to America, met some people, went back and founded SPR, and they went back and founded the American thing. So there's some interweaving going on there, which is, you know, kind of cool. Um, so and they contributed to to the 14 field. Uh, then the American Society won definitely. Uh, but in their defense, you know, I think ASPR, which is American Society Group, they, they've done well. Groundbreaking research. They're still around. Uh, it, it's just absolutely crazy. So you know, at the end of the day. Anyone interested in the supernatural, it really doesn't matter how you approach it. And and this has always been our opinion, I think, in general. You know, as long as you have knowledge under your belt and you're safe for what you're focusing on, what subject you're focusing on, I think that's half the battle. You know, any hypothesis, idea, assumption, or theory is relevant. We say it time and time and again, despite all the research of all the people over all the centuries of the studying of the high strangeness, there are no experts in this thing. You know, you can't be an expert on something that still is not known. We don't care who says they are. And anybody says they are an expert, I call bullshit and fuck you because I, I don't believe you. Um, and if nothing else, if you just really like what you do, you have the heart for it, you have the heart for this field, you need to go out and approach that. You just need to make sure that you got your flags in check. And I, you know, I think we feel, I feel the same with that. You know, however you approach this, how you approach it. We read, we do research. You know, we talked to other people in this. We have people on that interviewed. I'll be honest with you. We've interviewed some people that changed kind of my idea of something a little bit. Maybe I didn't see it like that. And, you know, even the John L. Tenney book, there were some concepts that he had in there. It's like, I never fucking thought of that. You know, it's very relevant. And this is just what this group has been doing for, you know, since 1880 fucking two. Kind of yeah. amazing. So anyway. That's a story of the Society of Psychical Research. What do you guys think? That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this organization is super cool. Um, I'm sure, you know, with over 100 years of existence, there's been, you know, not so credible things that they've stamped, but I'm sure they've done some pretty awesome work as well. Um, and, I mean, we've kind of laid it out here today. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, I want to know what you guys think about crisis apparitions. Oh, boy. I've had a little bit of encounters with some of them. Um, I mean, that's a long story. Not going to get into it now, but I, I don't know. Have you had any experiences, Josh, on your side? or Not that I can recall, but I think the phenomenon is super interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting on how it's, yeah, yeah, very much so. Well, something, again, you know, John L. Tenney had a theory of is, uh, you know, when you see a ghost, you see a spirit. Maybe that spirit's more in the mind psychological necessarily than something you physically see. And so it looks different to different people. I think there's a little bit of backbone when you talk about crisis apparitions like that, but you know, I think poltergeists really have a good root in what a crisis apparition may be just because of the energy that it, it seems that it draws from, if that makes sense. 
you know? Yeah. I, I think maybe the Vidiger does too. Um, cause it, 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 I don't know. So like the Vidiger is when someone's hears you come home and put your keys down and shit 20 minutes before you do. And the crisis apparition is when someone is in danger or dies somewhere far away from a loved one, but that loved one gets a phone call or a visit from that person before they know they're dead beforehand. And yeah. So I, I think they're very, very similar phenomena. And I think that they're very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be well. And again, you know, I'm so grasping on the theory that there's something with this whole quantum physics, somehow that interweaves itself into this, phenomena that we discuss spooky I mean, action to distance yeah exactly just like einstein said i mean there's something there there's i don't know i'm hoping that we kind of crack the case on that but anyway you know that's the story of psychic research um if you guys want to look them up we can send you some notes write us and let us know you can write us at strange at gmail.com you can call us if you have uh, any kind of encounter or something not even related to the subject we covered, but anything else, we will listen. You can call us at 801-252-69. There we go. Erectory. For, for ding wall. For, ding wall, <laughs> I, ding I, wall. I love that guy. 6949. Um, so. <laughs> 69, uh, 40, 807-5099. I mean, if you can't get that number and listen to another episode, that's going to be on that one. Too, yeah, I'm, so. I'm sure. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, anyway. It's Tuesday, people. What the fuck do you yeah. want? Yeah. So 801-252-6945. And then um, you can follow us on Patreon. You can join that. Uh, you can follow us on all podcast platforms, Instagram and Twitter. And I know, Josh, you have those handles at all? Yeah, uh, Strange Uncles Podcast on Twitter or on Instagram and Facebook and Strange Uncles on Twitter. Uh, please like and subscribe. Yeah, rate and review. Um, it helps with the, with visibility and helps us keep going up in the charts. Not like we're like advancing on anyone or anything, but if you rate and review, maybe <laughs> we will. We might absolutely. So anyway, and stand by for more stuff. Um, I don't know. You guys got anything else to wrap up with? Nah, close them. Close them. Yeah. Close the gates, folks. You've been listening to a fourth-hand production.